Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Lashana Tova, Lashana Tova, motherfuckers. That's what I have to say. Okay, I mean, universe. What is okay. it that you're trying to tell us about why we can't do this today? Okay, so what we will say is, uh, humans of the world, we had started. We co- th- thought we recorded 20 minutes ago, and really, we were just having a great conversation. So, and um, I guess you you missed you missed a great time we'll we'll do our best to recap but honestly well, we, there's nothing like the energy <laughs> of the moment and i'm not certain i can duplicate it <laughs> yes let's not do that so let's just let's just say that i'm in the house buying process but i also want to say like that was good to 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 get out and just that you know it is really interesting you know mercury's in retrograde all the things that people talk about but what I'm noticing right this second in the well not right this second like you know throughout the day the last couple of days is that I keep tripping over my own feet mm. like literally and I keep thinking like in any shoes any kind of I'm tripping over myself and it's like okay, what is the message there? And I think one of them is like, slow down, but also it's okay if you stumble. Also, oh yeah, things are kind of wonky right now. Also, you're buying a house, trying to buy a house, trying to close on the house and moving potentially. So there's a lot going on, but tripping, if you find yourself, and the other thing is, I had, um, yeah, that really mean roommate I had um, here used to say, like, she would get super, super clumsy before, like, her period or during times. That's how I get, yep. Mm -hmm. And I'm in this weird menopause situation, so, like, or perimenopause, I guess. So all the things are happening. So I'm just saying, and everyone's like, well, you don't want to buy a house during Mercury and retrograde. And I'm also thinking, I know, and I also think that, um, yeah, like, the whole planet's, dying and in retrograde so like you know what i mean like are we really gonna pinpoint the blame mercury for yeah like, let's don't split hairs the girl needs a house she needs yeah. more space. space yeah 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 well i'm excited for you yeah. i think it's gonna be great can't wait to buy you a housewarming present you'll have to send me your pinterest mood board about how you're gonna oh the best it. part about this the best part about this well not the best but one of the parts and my cousin hates it when i say this but i have i'm gonna have a she shed Nice. Your cousin yeah. hates it. Oh, yeah, because it's like, is it not PC or something? I don't know. She, no, I, she said it sounds like something peeing going on. Like there's some bodily function involved. But I oh. think it may be because huh. it's... Maybe because it's gendered too. I don't know. But I love saying she shed because of that commercial. Yeah. Where the lady goes, Richard, some, someone burned down my she shed. Or whatever that... <laughs> for the insurance company. Anyway... Um, so I, I am going to keep everyone, um, updated on what's going on there. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you was, is it fall there? The most important question. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's like the weather is getting, you know, cool, but not cold and it's still sunny mostly. And yeah, no, this is what, 
listen, intellectually, I understand exactly what people mean when they say when they live in California and they say, oh, I miss the seasons, like if they grew up on the East Coast. I, I do really understand that. And it is kind of nice to have a change. But I still think I'd be fine without that, too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd be fine if it was just summer all, all, all year long. Well, That's I think because me. because for me, it's actually not about the weather. It's the nostalgia, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, with the, the things that are conjured up to me, Gilmore Girls style, when I think of the fall, right? Mm-hmm. And it is, and a lot of that has to do for me with family and, like, it's around my birthday. And I remember walking home from like elementary school and having being excited that I could hear the leaves crunching and I knew at my house was waiting my grandma and all the amazing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, but she's dead and the whole thing went to shit and my parents, so when I, and it is beautiful, but I also know that for me, a lot of the seasons is about memories, right? It's not actually. Yeah, and I don't have that. I don't have any nostalgia about fall and winter and, you know. Right. Yeah, so that makes sense. It totally depends on the uh, the vibe. Hey, let me run this by you. I'm muting. <laughs> okay, phew. I mean, we we as women have so many mountains to climb. <laughs> and as podcasters. Okay, so uh, Boz and I have talked several times on the show about wishing we could have a camera to record or uh, something that would have captured any of our time in the theater school, whether it was on stage or, or, or otherwise. And I don't know about you, but I resigned myself to it's never going to happen. And we're just always going to wonder about it. Well, don't count out Miss Allison Zell, who uh, recorded all of her uh, performances. Uh, she was a director, MFA director. So it makes sense to me that she would want to make sure she had her performances on camera. Now I want to reach out to the other directors of my other workshops because, you know, I did all the workshops. <laughs> uh, so Shauna Flanagan and David Mould, if you are listening and you have video of any of your shows from theater school, please let me know. Okay. Okay. So- wait, wait, wait. I just have to say one yeah, thing yeah, yeah. So, and then I'll mute again. This is fantastic. Also, of course, Alison Zell, of course, because she was like, she was so much more to, in my mind, like more sophisticated and grown up in like New York city and all the things. Yeah, so yeah. it doesn't shock me, but it does shock me. So proceed. Yeah. Yeah. She's the kind of person who probably started doing to-do lists when she was like six years old, which is what my daughter is like. And those people are forces to be reckoned with. But um, yeah, so I did, there's a Paula Vogel play called Desdemona, a play about a handkerchief. And so it's a feminist take on Othello because it's from the Right? Othello? Is that, that's, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, just, I just flashed on, wait, that's not the right play. Yeah. And so my, and I remembered it, of course, as soon as I saw it, I had to do this crazy accent, this crazy dialect. It was like, or maybe I just did it crazy because it was crazy to listen to. I'm going to have to, I have the play. I'm going to have to go back and look at it. it. It's like Cockney. It's like something I've never heard of. In fact, now that I'm talking, I realize it was probably just me doing the dialect. I mean, because I did it with a, I, I, the scene that I watched. I didn't watch the whole thing. I, I really, it was too hard. It was really just too hard. And not necessarily for, for the reasons that I might have thought it would be too hard, which I'll get to. But um, I did. A, so the scene that I watched was with Alicia. Remember Alicia Hall? Was that her last name? Alicia Hall? Yeah. Amar's, uh, gr- you know, he was, she was Amar's girlfriend at the time. 
she's a fantastic actor. She's really good. And she was doing just kind of like a standard British accent. It was completely believable. But I was playing somebody like in the servant class. <laughs> My dialect was so wild. Now I'm really going to have to double check if that was how I was directed or if that's just what I okay. did. Is there any way to get audio of it on the podcast? Because can oh, we sure. met, if we open the podcast with that? Oh I mean, God, maybe Gina, should. Gina, first of all, I have to say, I want to see it like nobody's business. <laughs> second, thing, second thing is, did you talk to Allison about the accent yet? Or like, did you no, ask her? No, no. Okay. She, she just contacted us, to, or me, I guess, to say like, hey, I, I, I have video. And we had a little problem for a minute for with her sending it to me, but I finally got it. And, you know, it was just, and also the thing about that is, and if you ever, I think your family might've done some videotaping of you when you were younger. So, so you probably had this experience like, and I didn't, my family didn't do any video. So I really have never had that experience of seeing or accepting photographs. I've never heard my voice from when I was a child and I've never seen video of me from when I was a child. Okay, so go through and tell me all the things, like how was the process for you of watching yourself at, how old were you, 20? Yeah, yeah, okay. I was 18, L 19 lay, or 20. Lay it on us, like what was that like? Okay, first thought, of course, every woman will relate to this. My very first thought was, oh my God, I can't believe I thought I was fat. I was so, so not fat. So I'm not saying I was skinny, but I was so not fat. And also just to know that that was pretty much the only thing I ever thought about during my entire life up to a certain point. And certainly during theater school, like that's that, what a what a waste of of you know, me, <laughs> that I focused on that instead of literally anything else. So that was my first thought. Um, my second thought was just seeing the youthful energy of me was was very tender. Like I thought, oh yeah, I remember that girl. I remember that girl. She was pretty cool. Uh, and then it was the accent, which I'm just like, wow, what the fuck was I even doing? I really want to fucking hear it because I bet it's brilliant. But also it reminds me like of some kind of Tim Burton situation. Yes, this is giving very like if I put it on YouTube, it would be kind of, you know, how you went through that phase. Of, oh, I don't forget if it was on YouTube or not. Where you like to watch high school musicals because and, and many, many people have made amazing super cuts of like, one high school like everybody's doing fiddler on the roof right like <laughs> you gotta check those out people if you haven't listened heard of what i'm talking about just on youtube like pick a musical and google supercut high school production and you'll be in for a wild ride um and you know and then i was thinking wow alicia's a really good actor <laughs> um i i'm not that happy with with my acting but i only did watch like literally i think i watched maybe four minutes of this of this scene um and then and it was painful just i think one of the things that was painful about it was literally this notion that i don't have one single record of myself in an animated way for my whole life like that's kind of crazy and 
juxtapose that, for example, with my kids who, who it's practically like they're in a documentary film living here. You know, they're, they're going to have like all moments of their growing up be documented in one way or another. In fact, and my son will have the ultimate document, which is that he'll see exactly an hour and a half of himself, you know, at age 16 when, when he's older and wants to watch. So, you know, um, I will just say for anybody who's listening to this, who either if you were, uh, if you have video from the theater school, certainly, but if you have video of your cohort or anybody in your cohort from the time that you were in theater school, let those people know because they may be really interested to see that, you know, you, you might've recorded it cause it was your production or whatever. You may have been the lighting person and just had a, a, you know, a recording of a play because, you wanted to be able to view your own work. But if you know those people or you remember their names, or you have access to them, let them know because it is really, I'll, I'll go so far as to say, I think it's kind of a necessary thing because when you are inside of your own experience, it's, it's, you don't have that many opportunities to get like a more or less objective view, you know, because you're just always inside of your own subjective experience. So. Oh my God, this is fantastic. And I, I think that um, it, 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 you know what, I, I, when I watch self-tapes uh, at first, right, like, oh, I want to die. And I did. I did want to die. Wanna, and then you get used to it. But there is, this is like that on another level, right? Because it's you and it's watching you as a, a child almost. Um, and also saying really adult words and being artistic there's no way to be objective like there's zero yeah. way to be objective yeah. but i want to see it because i i i bet it's i also think like how brave the first thing i think of when you say that is like how brave to fucking do an accent whatever the accent at age 20 we have no business like what are we doing and right. and like also you like went apparently above and beyond and made like a crazy choice which i love <laughs> which i happen to love it because definitely I'm like, well, a choice. i can say that it was definitely yeah. i was definitely taking you know going in a certain direction wait you know what happens in my head when you say that like i literally think I, I picture you on stage doing the Anna Delvey accent. Very that, very that, very that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Which I think is a masterpiece on so many levels. And the fact that Julia Gardner could recreate. It's just like we are really insanely brilliant humans. So to think that even if the accent didn't exist, that you were consistently night after night for a, however the workshop went on. I mean, what were the workshops like four nights? I don't know. To yeah, I think nights. it was like one one weekend, maybe yeah. something like that. But like that you consistently were able to... Um, like go for it. I don't know. I think that is really brilliant. So that's I what I want to see. I went for it, baby. And how? Yeah. So no, thank you to Allison for that because you know, I, otherwise I really wouldn't have ever had this opportunity. And it did do something. It did. I'm always talking about like what moves the dial, what doesn't move the dial. I would say this move did move the dial in a positive way for me in terms of this thing that's been you know a years long project, but I'm still very much in the middle of, which is like building some self-esteem, having some um, sense of loving myself and, and instead of the only thing I've ever had looking back at any time in my life is, you know, recrimination, self-recriminations and, 
and guilt and loathing right and like loathing, it's really yeah. loathing i i mean for me it's like it goes beyond it goes it was wanting to okay this is a story have i ever told you my um kramer's daughter story Sophia Richards. I don't think so. Let's okay. hear it. So we went to school with her, but she was younger. Well, when I was there, I don't know if you went to school with Sophia Richards. And yeah, it's really just, not. Just, just for one okay. year. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So I, th this case in point um, of the loathing feeling and wanting to never see this part of my life again. So after my dad died, I was in Chicago. I worked at Transitions Book Place, which is so fitting for where I was. And I, it was 2006. I got this job and it was on North and Clybourne. Okay. I had to wear, and I had gained a lot of weight because my, they thought I was like, like, just like bipolar one at the time. And so I was on lithium. And so anyway, I gained a bunch of weight and like, I was feeling the worst I've ever felt, but I was coming out of it. I was not in the depths because I had a job and I was like participating in life, but let's just say it was real shaky. It was real shaky. And so here I am at Transitions Book Place and we had to wear these aprons. Okay. Aprons. What? An apron at a bookstore? Yeah. Like a, yeah. What? Anyway, so we had these aprons and it was, it, it, and um, so I had, and one of my jobs was to Windex the doors. Okay. And, um, yeah, I'm what I'm 30. So, or whatever, 30, yeah, 31. I don't know. Um, so I'm at the, the windows and in walks, oh my God, in walks Sophia Richards, you know, Michael Richards, daughter Kramer, as we know. And, and at the time, I don't know if they're still married, Jason, her, her theater school, what was his last name? Jason, not Denizak. Um, there's another Jason. He was a blue man. He became a very oh, successful I, blue I man. He was younger, younger than we were, but like her age. And she was pregnant and they looked beautiful. And I, I was standing there all fat with my apron and my Windex and my, and I thought to myself, and they were lovely. It's not about them, but they, it was like, oh, I prayed, please, God, let the ground open up and just swallow. Can I just be swallowed whole by the ground? I cannot do this. <laughs> and they were like asking me questions and I had nothing to say because I had left LA. Like I felt like a failure, all the things. And I just remember thinking, holding this, like, please, God, please, can you just open the ground and I can't do this. I can't be here. And then they went about their business. And, um, that is such a, per that is, first of all, that's a rom-com scene. You need to write that into a rom-com, a good, you know, a good rom-com like that, rep you know, that represents more than the rom-coms we've seen. Um, but I, and I can relate to the feeling of like, Oh my God, I feel so, you know, I feel so less than, um, but what it talk about bravery, I think it was so brave for you to make the choice you did. I know it was impacted by, you know, your dad, but still to, to say, I got to start. I mean, essentially what you said was like, I have to start over. I have to go back. I have to go back to my set point and figure shit out from here. That, that's, that takes a lot of courage. I knew, thank you. I knew if I had stayed because my relationship with Dave, which is a non-relationship, he didn't love me and I loved him. And the culminating factor was I had my 30th birthday. I, I turned back to uh, October 4, 2005. I had my 30th birthday party in November, November of 2005 at Norm's house 
I knew no one at my own birthday party. Oh, except, wow. Except oh, wow. it was like friends of norms and, and except Dave came and I was the whole reason that I wanted this birthday party was to it. Norm's fancy house was for Dave literally to see me in this environment and somehow think that I was great and want to marry me. Wow. wow and wow, wow. Yeah. I knew no one there, Gina other than Dave and Dave, who was not interested in pursuing a relationship with me brought two, uh, two friends so that he did not have to bear the brunt of that alone. And that he could say, I really, I drove them. I cannot spend the night. Oh my God. And you know what? I don't blame him one. It is so much pressure. I, I cannot imagine what was going through this motherfucker's head. Oh and that, it was all for him. All of it. I didn't know who was there. What was there was 200 people there. I don't know what happened. I was fixated on Dave and he left and I then got wasted and ended up in a pool, you know, drunk. With... Okay. So, you know, I love a thought experiment. Let's do the thought experiment where you tell me if, if you had, if you were healthy enough at that point to realize, oh my God, I've just foregone this whole other experience for, for this guy. And you had an opportunity to do it right. Maybe he never came or maybe you stayed after he left or whatever it was. What, what can you imagine might have ha gone differently, even with this group of people that you really didn't know anybody? I would have had a blast. I would have said, yes. you know what? I'm 30. I made it. Um, this is, there's delicious food and beverage and we're in this beautiful setting. But like people came up to me and they were like, happy birthday. And I was like, where's Dave? I was like, I couldn't, yeah. it was, a, it was so bad. The codependence and the, and the, it was so bad. And he didn't even stay the night and he didn't spend, it was, it was like, and then he died, but that was right, later. Right. But like, so I can't even go back to him and be like, Dave, listen to me. This, I, I am so very sorry that I, 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 I put that pressure on you. What in the hell? Thank you for being my friend. Cause we stayed friends after that, after the big break, like he told me no, you know, but like, oh my God, it was awful. And I knew I had to get the fuck out of LA. I was like, I can't, this is not working out for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and I'm, I, uh, and I'm all for the thing that you just did, which you've done many times before. And I have too, which is like really owning your piece in it right because and I think that comes from you you live in this experience and you just feel victimized and all you can see yourself is the victim and and only when you start to grow do you do you see oh I had a part in this okay that's all great however I would also like sometimes for the people who are the object of these people's affection to ever own up for that to ever say I mean like the person was it Dave who said no, no matter how much yes oh, yes. okay well he finally but that got was there, later but he got was, there it took him a really long time to get there and you know like my my sort of corollary with that is is that person uh, Mark that I had this you know non-relationship relationship with and yeah I was an idiot. I was an asshole. I should, he, he never lied about who he was. He showed me exactly who he was from day one. And, you know, and I tried to forge that into something that it wasn't. However, Mark owes me an apology for, you know, no, knowingly exploiting me for, for the only thing I was a value to him, which was for sex. He owes me an apology for that. 
you know, um, it Agreed. goes both ways. It goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I agree that, that it totally goes both ways. And I also agree that, yeah, when we're looking back at our lives at really, really painful points in our lives, it's essential that we just also don't take the blame for all the shit. There's any time you have two human beings interacting, you have two human beings interacting. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, an unexpected um, benefit, I think, of having um, a daughter that was born in 2013 and her worldview starts at a certain place in the history of women. So she reflects back to me these unconscious things all the time as an example. And I'm going to tell a story that's going to put make Aaron sound bad. And I, I don't mean for it to. It's really more so- about... I can say as an outsider, we know that Aaron is one of the most amazing, decent humans I've ever met. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we she, we had this great idea to decorate her room for Halloween. And I'm very proud of this idea because, as we know, I am not a big fan of decorating for holidays um, for the most part. And I, I always have this guilty thing of like, oh, God, I should probably decorate. And I have these decorations. I should probably bring them out. Some years we get to October 30th and I put up one pumpkin and I'm done with it. And other years I've gone all out. Okay. Well, I know she is one of the people who really loves the decoration. And I, I was sitting in a room and I go, you know what? Let's decorate your room. That way she can have it could be an explosion of whatever, but it's it's contained to her room. So we were working on that, and we went to Home Goods to see if there was anything you know that that could work there. And she wanted me to get something for myself, and and I I said okay if I if I see something I will. And then I saw something that I kind of liked, but I wasn't married to it, and I was holding on to it for a while, and I put it down. And she said, why aren't you getting that? And I said, well, because, you know, I don't really need it. And she's like, well, I don't really need these things either. But I, you know, I want them because I want to decorate my room. And I said, just kind of reflexively. And it is true. But I think I said it as a way of like, I don't know. I said it's sort of an excuse, which is, well, you know, dad always feels like we have too much stuff in the house. And so I don't want to bring home more stuff, Uh, you know. Uh, something something to that effect and, and she's like well he brings home stuff that you don't like and you don't get mad at him about it and it was just a little moment of like oh yeah right everything needs to be looked at through the lens of equality not you know not just the big egregious things but the little things too we are talking to Ryan Wagner. Ryan started out as an actor, but changed gears and went to USC film school and learned all about filmmaking. And he's a director and he's also a playwright. So please enjoy our conversation with Ryan Wagner. And anyway, we went to the Northbrook Skate Park all the time. Yeah, totally. It's a good skate park. It's a great skate park, especially if you're a Especially if you're a bowl skater. Anyway, that's he's a bowl skater, so that is have a good bowl. See, I don't, I, I it just none of this matters. So, good morning. <laughs> good morning. <laughs> okay, so Ryan, tell us how did a man like you make it from Northbrook to USC Film School, which is like the hardest film school to get into? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about that. But it's, uh, I I uh, started in theater, 
So my whole life I was uh, like an actor and an improviser, stuff like that. And then um, in high school, I realized that I was a bad actor. And so I was like, maybe I won't do this professionally. Um, but wait, Ryan, I have so to I, stop I, you there because, oh yeah, God, who's, a, who's a good actor in high school? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Jessica Chastain, I, but who who besides her? Yeah, like, I just, I want to know that. And also, I want to know, how did you know? See, where does the realization come as a high schooler? Like, oh, I'm bad at this because I didn't know shit. So you could have told me I was Meryl Streep and I'd be like, oh, okay. So how do you know? No, I wasn't, I wasn't bad. I, I. I think I was good. I think what I was not good at was like the what would end up being the career of being an actor. Like I I don't have the disposition for it. I don't have the endurance for it. I don't have I didn't have the confidence for it, you know. And so I think I was like good enough on stage and then just a disaster in my own <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, mean? I feel like that is the number one thing that happens, which is that people look, it's the thing of which I always talk about of like, there's a difference between doing the work and then of being an actor on stage or on set or on and then there's the whole fucking business management self regulation part of it that fucking sucks. And also we don't get paid for so it's like, yeah, no disposition. It does take a certain disposition. It does. And also, you know, I, th- I think a lot of people, Ryan is also a director. He directs films and writes. I think that people who have that kind of an eye, you know, for directing and for writing are always much more critical of themselves and other people, but mostly of themselves. Um, you know, so in, in a way, maybe you're, there is a thing I think, I hope nobody takes us the wrong way, but there is kind of a thing about being too smart to <laughs> I, I don't mean that to say that good actors are dumb. I just mean like if, if, if maybe it's a combination of being really smart and then just struggling with, you know, self-esteem for whatever reason. Um, it, it, you know, because otherwise you might have said, well, like, I'm not that great right now, but I, I'm going to get there. Right. You, you, you might have had that thought, but you, but you, you kind of so, like X'd it out at the beginning. Yeah. And then, I think I also, yeah, go ahead. I think I also just was, um, I think when you're so hyper aware, you start to really like dissect the form pretty intensely. And I think that made me a bad or not a bad, I think that made me not the best actor, but then ended up kind of teaching me story in a pretty good way. Like I learned what felt dramatically satisfying from that. Um, And I think I started to be able to understand like, well, this is what I value in a story. Oh, look, everybody loves this play, but I don't like this play. That's why my taste is this. And, you know, I think I just started developing this feeling of, like, having opinions yes. uh, by by being <laughs> too hyper-aware. Well, also, um, what I'm hearing is, like, you have the ability, and I know this to be true for so many directors especially, um, to get a bigger picture view of what is going mm-hmm. on. And I feel like actors, for the most part, out of necessity or whatever, are hyper-focused on that one thing, which is, how do I tell this story through this character, where um, <clears throat> writers and directors that, especially that I'm, I'm meeting lately, that, um, 
they are able to see, yeah, the overview. They are way more objective in a way, but also know what they like. But I, I, it's really hard to be objective as an actor because you're just doing your thing all the time. So anyway, I think this is so, it's so fascinating to talk to someone that, okay, so then what happened? So you were like, okay, maybe not for me, the straight up like acting theater conservatory. So how did you, where'd you go? So at the, at the same time as me sort of realizing like, okay, maybe I'm not destined to be an actor. Um, I started writing plays and, and I started uh, in high school. They, there was this opportunity where you could like put on some one act plays that you had written. And so I, I directed two plays that I wrote and I was like, Oh my God, this is so fun. This is like, uh, I get all the credit <laughs> of acting, but I don't need to like really put myself out there. I can hide in the shadows and still feel like people are proud of me. Um, yeah, I so mean, I think that's important. That- like, I think it's important that to know that, like, just because, just because people aren't quote actors and in front of the camera does not, or on the stage, doesn't mean that we don't need. Um, we don't need to feel like our work matters and that we are like cool and special. So you found that during those one, how awesome it was that you could, you could direct your own one acts in high school. It was so cool. It was really so special and such a privilege. And like, I don't know if I would have uh, found this without, without that. Uh, yeah. I mean, like truly just a privilege. That's what it is. Yeah. And what immediately comes to mind is I bet you had a great teacher because one of the commonalities that we've gotten from interviewing people is like having a great theater teacher in high school makes all the difference for many people who would otherwise have never considered that as a career choice. Was that true for you? Yeah, I had the best theater teacher as I would guess many people did. Um, uh, Her name was Miss Robinson. Her name is uh, now something different because she is married and I don't remember, uh, but she's still Robinson to me. And yeah, she, I mean, she was the first person that I ever, I, I just learned from her that you could be really silly and everyone could still like you. Like you could really just be so free and goofy and comfortable with yourself and uh and people would like you more than if you were very protected and uh scared you know she was really not scared um that was so important for me that was like the 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 thing that i needed which is why i fell in love with theater because i was like oh my god like i've never felt this good before like i've never i never i didn't know that i could be this vulnerable truthfully like as a you know a boy in high school so interesting and i I, and i'm wondering um you know where do you think both of you that sense because what i really hear is that miss robinson gave you like the permission to play and some right and somewhere along the fucking line that gets taken away and it becomes like serious business. And then the reason that most of us get into the arts is that sense of play. And then all of a sudden it's gone. And I think that's why people are like, Oh, I don't fit in here because I thought this was about play. And now it's all serious business and about how skinny and cute I am. How do you know? Right. Like we need to bring that sense of play back. So I guess I'm wondering, do you bring that sense of play into the work you do as a director now and a writer? 
I hope so. I, I think what you're saying is so smart and so right. Like, I think, um, like, if I was going to not have fun, there are industries where I could make so much more money not having fun. And so I think for me, it's like, if I'm going <laughs> to, if I'm going to live this life, like, it has to be fun. Otherwise, like, what is the point of it? Right. Well, I have I, that same I thing. Can, I can attest. I can attest that Ryan is fun and brings a great sense of fun, which is really even more remarkable when you think about the job of a first AD, which is how I met Ryan uh, when he was a first AD on a set. Truly, it's like such an impossible job, especially when, <laughs> um, especially in the situation you guys had, where like you also all lived together during the shoot. I, 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 I can't begin <laughs> to imagine the nightmare that would be for me. I'm not saying it was for you, but for me, it would be a nightmare to be expected to run roughshod basically over people during the day because that is what you have to do when you're responsible for keeping everybody to a schedule and then like relax um, at night <laughs> and on the weekends and you know be like your normal fun fun self that, that that's got to be really tough to do D- did you did you find that to be a tough position? um i i have a, a mentor named miguel arteta who's a really incredible director and who i worked for for years and he's amazing and something that he would always say is protect your joy which i really kept with me forever like protect your joy to me is such a beautiful idea because it 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 suggests that your joy is already there like i I kind of imagine like a flame like a little candle that you're keeping from getting blown out and so i think for me um the sense of fun is something that is so easy to lose and it's so easy for that candle to get blown out. But it's, I think important to understand that like fun should be the baseline. Like joy should be the baseline. And of course there are moments where like it can't be that and it isn't supposed to be that and that's fine. But like, I think joy should be uh, always. (laughs) And then we should take it from there, you know? Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I guess that my next question is, so at USC, was it joyful at all? Or was it fucking hell on earth or a mix of the boat? Like mm. how, how did that? So I guess first let's back up. So when you were like, okay, like I love this directing writing thing. And then how did that translate into picking a college? And did you go right to school? And how was that experience of applying to schools? Sure. Yeah. Um, I applied to a lot of schools. Um, I applied for business school. I applied, I think I did apply for um, theater just like so I had that in the, um, on the menu. And I applied to USC, I think, I'm pretty sure because it was on the Common App. I think I wasn't even like aiming for USC. I think it just like was something I could click a button and apply to, and I know that I had a film that I had to submit to USC that I had already made because I had to submit to Syracuse. So like I could just kind of click a bunch of buttons and then I applied to USC. And uh, then I, then that's where I ended up going. It wasn't, I don't know. There was, I, I followed like this idea that, that I wanted to end up in LA and USC was a good fit for someone who wants to relocate there. That's true. And, 
Yeah, that was really Wait, good so you had made a film in high school? Well, uh, for admissions. Like, you have to... You, you have to, in order to it's part apply of, to film school. Yeah. So this play that I wrote in high school called Keylog, uh, I just kind of filmed that play. I mean, it was a very lazy idea of directing, but like it was, I, I <laughs> the word adapted would be very generous, but I adapted it into a short film and uh, used that. Okay. You're reminding me of something right now, which is that, um, I think like one of the first conversations I ever had with you or, or second, maybe I said, Oh, you you like, you don't, you're not, you don't take compliments. Well, you don't, you don't, uh, no, you told me I don't take compliments. Well. And I said, Oh, I'm going to try yeah. to help you with that, you know, during the course of this, because I actually did see you at, um, Ryan has a video of himself in a solo performance and it was actually really, really good. And he actually is a really good actor. I wasn't going to say that because, you. you know, I don't want to, I don't want to invalidate like your own, there's something to be said for like your own idea of opinion of yourself. I don't want to be invalidating about that, but I did, I did think you're a good actor. Um, another thing I just wanted to mention is I heard somebody say, I don't know if it was you or somebody else. Cause there was a lot of USC people on this film set, but, um, that the doors, literally the doors at USC are really heavy and hard to open. So it's literally hard to get into. And I just wondered like how much of that vibe transmitted itself in terms of your education or your experience of being there. Um, I definitely wasn't the one that said that door thing. I don't, were they suggesting that the doors are heavy on purpose? Is that what they were saying? Yeah, that there's kind of a vibe of the architecture itself is sort of is really like you have to put a lot of effort into it. And I think it was actually the director of the film that said that. But uh, I don't think they weigh weigh down the doors. (laughs) Um, The vibe at USC is. uh, Not. Not that it's not bad. It's it's not like a. Um it doesn't feel cutthroat or, or anything like that, really. I mean, it's competitive. It's, like, definitely competitive. I think that fit the high school version of me much better than it fits the version of me right now. Like, I think I think I, excuse me, I think I used to sort of thrive in an environment where I was trying to, like, you know, um, rise to the top, honestly. And, and, and that... I've later, like, in later years sort of realized, like, maybe isn't the way that I best respond and that, like, for me personally, art is more interesting when it's made in, like, a a, a playful environment. But USC was really focused on, like, you know, getting you into the film industry. And I think there's a an acknowledgement from USC that, like, they know what they're talking about and they've like sent so many people into the industry. So it, it does feel at times a little like, um, I don't know. It just, it just feels like they really are sort of like an authority on something, which isn't, which is good. And sometimes um, a little hindering. Yeah. I mean, I think that, like what I'm hearing from what you're saying is like, it is the truth that like we, Gina and I were talking about this, that like, you know, LA is a company town. 
it's a mining town and the mines are the entertainment industry. And um, mm. it's a professional program. Like you go there and they're what I do, what I've noticed about people that go to USC is like, it's very clear from what I've heard, like day one, like the job is to get the, 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 the goal is to get work in LA making films. Right. And mm. they help you to do that. It may not in the process, it may be kind of fucked up or like whatever happens, but definitely the other thing I'm realizing about education and things is that reputations are established and, um, for a reason. And then they, it has a, a certain, um, sort of, um, uh, expectation attached to the name. And then it is the job of the institution and the people that go there and that work there to make sure that name that lasts, right. It doesn't drop off and that takes a certain amount of work. So anyway, I have a lot of respect for schools that are very focused on that. And they, it's not like, like just to contrast it to like DePaul's theater school, which is like the, the, or any conservatory for acting, which is we're here to teach you about art and how to be alive on stage. And like, mm-hmm. I wish that there had been more focus. So it just sounds like it's a focused program for film school. You know, it is what it is. It's film school. So I guess my question to you is like, did you find joy there? Yes, definitely. I think the joy at USC comes from, the joy of the other people there. And I think that's the same with any uh, school where, where someone feels comfortable. Um, I don't think USC is necessarily like any better at collecting cool, interesting people, but I know that there were so many cool, interesting people there. Um, And there was so much joy in that. Like it's the education that I received was like, I have a memory freshman year of college. Um, my roommate and I, uh, Matt Burke, Matt is a, a, an amazing cinematographer. He shoots a lot of my stuff. Um, I just remember us watching movies in our dorm room and we would pause the movie and I would say to Matt, cause he was so much better than me. Um, I would say to Matt, like how'd they do that shot? And then we would take out his little DSLR camera and in our dorm room, we would recreate the shots of the movies we were watching. I, like, that's how I learned about, like, depth of field and how I learned about, I don't know. I mean, you know, there, there was just stuff I learned in that room with him. And so that was the education for me. And every, every single person there taught me everything, you know, that, like, I just, I just absorbed from the people around me. That's interesting. I Something just occurred to me, which is, you know, you can be a very successful actor without ever having any actor training because you can learn on the job. And usually the jobs work that way. They're very small parts and, and then they build their, their way up. But you, you can't learn f- like cinematography on the job, can you? Oh, sure. I think, I think, I think that's how so many people have learned. I just know that because I came from theater, I showed up at USC without knowing anything. I was, I was at such a level of worry all the time that I was like not deserving of being there because I was like, in my mind, much more of like a theater director than a film director. So, so for me, I was just like, freaking out all the time asking people for help and 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 Matt because we lived together was super generous that way so we would he just like taught me everything that he learned by just owning a camera his whole life and playing around with it like I think there's 
again, I learned, I learned from people rather than a school. Uh, well, I learned from the school, but like I, I, the, the value for me came from all, all the, the people that were there with. Okay. So, um, I, what I'm getting from you is that you are, um, like you, community sounds really important to you or like cre- the, mm-hmm. the environment is, it sounds like heavily, um, influence for you like your experience is heavily influenced by the types of community and the types of people you're around not necessarily the actual stuff you are learning like that it's a combo platter so I guess so you went to USC and then uh, what was your like launch like from USC when did you graduate 2017. Okay. So 2017 pre-pandemic. So you launched, what is, what did they, did you feel prepared to enter the entertainment industry on some level? And I know it might never be totally prepared, but like, what was your launch like from USC? Yeah, I, I think I felt prepared. I wasn't, but I definitely thought I might've been, um, I don't remember. I I I know I was catering, so it it couldn't have been that great. Um, but did I was you did you all have it. like a showcase or like how was the culm- What was the culmination of your experience at USC in terms of how they let you out into the world? Did you network with people? What was that like? There there was not an undergraduate uh, showcase, and there wasn't a ton of formal sending off. Um, my thesis film my senior year was sort of my personal um, fireworks at the end of college. Um, and that that project is where I really learned a, a lot, like where I, I grew up a lot. I, I made a ton of mistakes on that project. I made mistakes really, really, really focused uh, toward like, <clears throat> excuse me, it sounds like I'm crying. I promise I'm not. <laughs> um, I made mistakes towards like relationships with people. Like I took the film too seriously. It, it, I totally lost perspective. And this was sort of the turning point between when I was saying like my high school self was maybe better suited for USC than my current self. Um, this was sort of the moment where I was like, oh man, I'm losing so many friends from a movie from a stupid little movie. I'm just, I'm just so unhappy and I'm so sad and I'm so lonely. And wait, what happened? What, 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 what was the process? Like, why, why did it turn into that? What, what went down? We were just kids acting like adults. We just were taking it very seriously. And so there was no single, uh, it it would be hard to like pinpoint what happened, but it was me being, a dick. I was, I was like being like a little director, man. I, I would guess I was like, I don't know, like probably just, just not a very nice person. And, um, and the movie turned out okay, you know, and it, it and I, and, and everyone liked the movie. And I was like, wait a minute, this is backwards. Like I, like people are, um, happy about the art and then I'm miserable about the process and I, I can't do that anymore. Um, mm. So I think coming out of USC, I was focused on like, how can I be part of a community and how can I feel like, you know, I'm coming up with folks. 
And, and it was a lot of PAing. It was, I worked on like, you know, reality TV. I have a lot of stories from reality TV. Um, I just, (laughs) I, I'm trying to think of my first. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. My first PA job. Um, I think really ever one of them was for a, 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 a reality show called growing up hip hop, which was <laughs> yes, um, uh-huh, I about, mm-hmm. yeah, about, um, sea level hip hop stars. It was about their children. So it's like three degrees from something interesting. And so my first day on set, I was starting in the middle of the season. I was replacing another person my age who had who had just quit the day before. And so I show up to set and the guy's like, I think the production supervisor was like, you're going to be here. You're going to be like locking up the set, like in between takes, you can let people go through. But once we call action, lock up this edge of frame. And then he kind of moved a little closer and he said, and just so you know, the guy that you're replacing Yesterday, he made eye contact with uh, one of the rappers in the scene, and the the guy he stood up and punched the PA in the face, and he had to go to the hospital. And so, just make sure that while you're locking it up, uh, you don't you don't oh, look no. at him. Oh no! Oh no! Oh my god! That's brilliantly horrific on so many levels. By the way, that job of locking up the set is. To me, that's which is like the entry to the to the film industry. That is the biggest obstacle there. I could never do that. It's so job. scary. I would be like, okay, if you want, just go ahead. I mean, because I when I lived in New York City and things were you couldn't cross the street into your own house. I'm like, I, I, I live right there. It made me so angry that I cannot imagine enforcing that. And maybe it's easier in LA. I'm not sure because maybe people are more used to it. But you you it you literally like it impacted the quality of your commute when you know when they were filming anything which they always were being a pa <laughs> is that's the so hardest crazy I've ever worked for yes sure. being a PA yes. is by far the me hardest too. I've ever worked. me too i was a pa um, and it was fucking brutal yeah it's i mean it was it was really hard um <clears throat> i have did you get punched in the of, face did you get punched no in the face? so i did not i did not get punched in the face by that guy okay uh and so that was a really good day at work great great um <laughs> So yeah, I mean that was that was the launch out of USC. It was jobs like that. It was making a ton of PA friends, you know, like like meeting people not from USC now for the first time, like going out in the real world, and then also working a lot of jobs that had nothing to do with the film industry, sure. and just like you know, uh, supporting myself how I could, and like being like a you know a little a little man walking around the city. That thing you were describing about. Um you know, feeling like you damaged your interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's something that I think it was really, really translates to theater too. You know, that, that can happen in theater. That's kind of toxicity was, you know, standard. And like, actually, if you think about it really taught to us um, that it was okay for directors to act like that, especially if they were geniuses. Um, and so in our experience, which was, you know, 25 years before your school experience, not only, you know, were we not 
did we have, not only did we not have any discussions about like what kind of a person you're going to be in your work, um, it, you know, it, it, it was, it, everything was just like, like assumed, oh, if you're the director, you act like this. If you're yeah. the, you know, scenic designer, you act like this. Were there any conversations that you can think of that were kind of more formal, maybe not part of the curriculum per se, but that, that would you have conversations with teachers about like, where they were encouraging people not to be an asshole or did, did you get any like messages or teaching about how to be as a person on a project? No, we, we didn't talk about that. And I think it's something that, I don't know. I feel grateful that I learned it for myself. Like that was such a real learning experience. And I don't really know how you teach. I don't think anyone would listen if they said, don't be an asshole. And I, I, I think it's hard when, and this is going to sound a little <laughs> melodramatic. So I'm sorry if I make your eyes roll, but it's like when you care about something so much and you're only, I mean, you know, okay. So the thing about film that makes it a little tragic as a filmmaker is that you only get to do it a couple times a year. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. Like, you know, I, I call myself, a director, I am a director. And it might be like, you know, a handful of of sets that I'm on for for an entire year. And that means there's a lot more time in the year where I am not directing, but I am still a director. And that means that these moments that you get where you do finally get to do it, it's right. it feels so important. It yeah. felt and this is what happened in college. It's like I finally had a budget. I finally had a crew. I had a story I cared about. Oh my God, this has to go well. Exactly. And and that's something that I still am. am I don't know how you work on this. I don't know I, how you figure it out, but it's. How old are you? 27. Yeah. Okay. So, so I think that you are right. Exactly. You're like in my 47 year old mind or about to be 47, you are exactly right where, where this happens, where you're actually ahead of the game, like looking at you. But, um, so the more it's just comes, you're right. You can't really teach this shit. Like you learn as you go along, or I did, I learned from 27 to 47, um, the you pace yourself in terms of your expectations. So it's like, Oh, like for me, like going my first set uh, and I still get scared on set, but like my first set was like, Oh my God, it has to be as an actor. And I was an, an actor on set. And then you sort of realize like, Oh, this is like a long process. I'm in it for the long game. So it's like, I don't literally, you, your resources start to become more precious. The internal resources of like, how crazy am I going to get on this? And also, so um, knowing that, like, I think I have less to prove now. I mean, we always have something to prove on set because, of course, there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of but like it's a long game versus I remember just getting out of um, school and be like, oh, my God, if I don't fucking have all the experiences in this one experience, I, I'm it's not worth it. But now you, and I realize like, oh, like it's all leads to the next thing, which leads to the next thing, which leads to the next thing. But you can't know that until you do it. No. And it it's, it's, I have made so many different types of mistakes. I am 
still so much learning the type of person I want to be, the things that I've done that have been problematic or that are like things I need to uh, like heal within myself. And, you know, there, there, I am so much still figuring this out. That said, I am also really trying to process like what it means to have this, this thing that means so much to me and to, in one hand, want to do everything possible to make the greatest art that I could possibly make, which feels extremely important to me. And then on the other hand, like never, never believe that this art is more important than uh, literally anything else. Well, right. And And so, yeah, you're figuring, yeah, it's values, right? It's values because some person, like you said it, you said it, Ryan, you are figuring out for you, what kind of person you want to be off and on sets and that, and some people are literally like, I will kill a bitch to make this movie and I don't care what I have to do. But for you, it sounds like that's not going to cut it, but based on what brings you joy and fulfillment in your life. So you're figuring it out. And I think the most important thing that I hear from you in terms of like a predictor of like how awesome your life is going to be is that you you're teachable and you're like healing. Like healing is part of your journey. So that's going to look a lot different than someone who's like, I don't give a fuck about healing and who I am. I just want to fucking be rich. You know what I mean? Like that's a different, that's a different path. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I I definitely don't want to kill a bitch. And I think that for me, like it's even less about the, 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 um, that being rich and the success and more just that uh, this is an opportunity that is rare. It is so hard to have the privilege to, uh, uh, to direct something. And so then how, right. Cause I, th- I think on some level, like to be an actor, to be a director, to be any type of artist, you for a moment have to believe that what you're doing is really important. You have to like forget everything else and just, hand over your life for a second to this this thing that you're working on and that takes a belief that it matters and to to maintain the perspective that it does matter it matters so much it's so valuable but it's not any more valuable than friendship or (laughs) your life you know it's it's hard it is just it's a it's it takes a maturity that I definitely don't have yet and I'm I'm working on yeah, I, I guess it's the money thing that makes for these pressure cooker environments of like, you know, I, th- I, th- I in other words, I think a lot of toxic behavior also in theater, even though there's absolutely no money involved there, is this, um, you know, just this panicky pressure about like, we only have this much time to get it done. And I don't really see a way around that because for film, especially, I mean, making a movie is really expensive. You, nobody has the luxury of just, you know, taking their time and like checking in with everybody about how they're doing. So I don't like really see that, <laughs> you know, evolving necessarily um, anytime in the future. But um, I did want to ask like your, your film that you did um, in college that, you know, was a big learning moment for you. Um, what happens next in the life of that? Are, do you, how does that work? You made, you made a film, you did it for, for your thesis, but it's a film that you can be proud of. So now what do you do with it? I, 
entered it in festivals. Uh, I was then rejected from festivals. I ended up selling it to a streaming service, like an online um, distributor called Seed and Spark. And um, I don't, I think it's still on there. I don't remember when the contract ended. Um, but, but yes, yeah. So I, I just kind of wanted so people to done. see it. So it's all done. You're all done with that. Yeah, that, that, well, I mean, it's funny, you know, the other thing about, <clears throat> or one of the other things about film that I'm still figuring out for myself is the process of making something is so long that you really have a, a whole life cycle of the way that you feel about something. And so, I mean, I love that movie, but it is so in film years, you know, it's like, so it's like, a, a it, it, it's me in a, a daycare or something. It's so far away. Um, so, so I love it. I love it a lot. And I think it's a very special thing. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it feels like kids made it. Well, the, so. the other thing is that I'm noticing, um, and maybe you're going to notice is like, like things come back like later, like, like there's, I always think I'm done with a project. And then like down the line, someone's like, Hey, can I look at that solo show you did from 2013? Mm. And I'm like, what? I, I did what? Oh, right. Okay. How does that, is. how does that make you feel as an artist that inevitably has grown? how do you feel having or getting to show work from a version of you that like you might not uh, relate to as much anymore? I think I, I love it because I have done the inner work on myself to make peace with that person who I mm. was good, bad, ugly, flabby, whatever the thing is. If I, if I, and also I, it, I can rest assured and I try to do this with all my art that like at the time, at that moment, I could stand behind the words that were coming out of my mouth a hundred percent. So because yeah. of that, I could be accountable and I may not like it. I may be like, Oh my God, that was an, uh, and sometimes I made jokes that, cause a lot of my stuff is kind of stand up y that was probably not appropriate. And that I would have to really, and that I have had to say like, man, that was not right. And I apologize um, for that. But I, I, I think the integrity of the project is still there because I was all, in and I, I could stand behind it. But I think it gets different if it's, you know, I don't know, like, yeah, it depends. Well, you, you as the artist can age out of a project, but that doesn't mean that somebody who would be encountering it, who might be more at the stage of life that right. you were in when you made mm. it, wouldn't benefit from hearing your Absolutely. story. I mean, I think that's the... Then another one of like the miracles of film is that um, I, I, if I if I want to, you know, know something about what Orson, you know, early Orson Welles was, it, it's there, it's available right. to me. Whereas if I want to know something about, you know, the first play at Steppenwolf, Laurie Metcalf did, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of I'm sort of out of out of luck on that one. Um, so. As as you've mentioned, it is such a privilege and and a ple and a privilege to to be able to make a film that, that that's your story and you you've done it once do you have something else that you're trying to give birth to <laughs> yeah I mean I'm I'm always writing a bunch of different projects so I have like you know a few features that I'm uh working on getting off the ground right now I have a couple pilots that I'm uh getting out there and you know it's it's 
there's always a bunch of stuff in development. I think I had this um, professor one time, his name, er, do I want to tell the story? Is this appropriate? Um, Yes. Okay. So you can always cut it out later if you regret it. No, I just won't say his name. I had a professor who had this incredible career, not as a director in, in a different department. And there were two opportunities in his life where he was going to direct. And he said that the first time he was going to direct, uh, a war broke out in that country. It was some Eastern European country and the government disintegrated and uh, all of their permits therefore (laughs) disintegrated. And so two weeks before shooting his, his first feature got shut down. Oh my God. Oh my God. Picked back up. And then, uh, uh, the second one, it was two weeks before shooting and his agent called him and, and called him into the office and he sits down and the agent passes him a comic book and the professor takes the comic book and looks through it and he realizes that this is his movie, that this is the story of his movie and he learns that the writer plagiarized it and so his, his feature falls apart for the second time, two weeks before shooting. And I was sitting in his office when he told me these stories. And I said to him, and this, I'm not, I'm not saying this uh, to be funny. I said to him very seriously, like, how did you not kill yourself? Like you have, you like, all you want to be is a director. You, these like you, years and years you've poured into these two projects. They both fall through. And then, he never directed. He became an extremely successful person in his in his other department. An amazing career. Nothing to have any ounce of regret about. But I, I was like, at that moment, like, how did you not absolutely lose your mind? And he said, if you want to be okay, you need a ton of projects going all the time. And that has really stuck with me because there are so many reasons that you're in control of that your project could, uh, or could, that could be the reason that your project falls apart. And then on top of that, there's even more reasons that you're not in control of. And between those two yeah, it's, categories, it's, it's probably you know, likely it's not going to happen when you think it's going to happen, even if it totally, happens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, totally. I think that's, I mean, I, I do, I think that we talk a lot on the podcast about resilience and, and keeping going despite insane shit that goes down. Yeah. So since your, since your thesis film, have you directed like a little shorts, web series, anything, or has it been like you are literally like working as a first AD? I mean, which is in itself its own thing. So like, have you gotten a chance to direct anything since your thesis? Yeah, totally. Oh. I, I I direct uh, a fair amount, so oh, great. I've had um, quite a few uh, shorts that have done the the festival thing. I direct uh, a lot of music videos, or not a lot, but I, I you know I, I direct music videos and commercials, and you know, so aging for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I direct. Um, I I was aging on the the on Big Boys, the movie where I met Gina. Um, I was ADing on that because the director, Corey, is an amazing friend of mine and obviously an amazing artist. And I wanted 
to be there when he made his movie. I wanted to help oh, in any way that I could. What was um, it like? Okay, so what's it like? You don't have to like to be a be a director, and you're you're like one of your best friends is the director, and you are like I'm gonna first AD because I want to support and be with it. Do you? What is it like to watch someone else that you love um, directing? Well, so Corey and I had. I love Corey. I do love him so much. At the time before this movie, Corey and I had much more of like a kind of creative partnership. So Corey, I was introduced to him because he directed this web series that I was acting in. And then Corey started editing some projects that I had directed. And so we had become, and on that last, Corey edited a movie that, a short that I directed called Every Other Week which uh, we, we became quite close on that project. And so we really started to feel like, oh my God, like we're, we're friends, you're, you're so wonderful. And then pretty quickly after that, uh, Big Boys popped up. So I hopped on and I did the project. It was amazing. I, the, the thing about ADing that is so, I mean, there's tons of parts that are not the best, right. but the thing that's awesome is that at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're done. And when you're directing, yeah. you're never done. Right. Ever. And so Corey, I watched him for a month. Uh, like, you know, him and, and, and Allison, our producer, like really the two of them just like lugged this, this like boulder up a mountain together, you know? And, and, and we all, we all would, like the crew was behind pushing the boulder, but then after 12 hours, the crew would stop pushing and then Corey and Allison would be the only two people left there. Right. And that, to be honest, for me was really nice. I got to, I got to stop working at the end of the day. I mean, I worked my butt off during the day and, and certainly after work, we were all still talking about stuff and planning and I was, I was still scheduling at night, but you know, it's, you weren't I'm, fretting. I'm, I'm there was not as much guy. fretting, fretting about the integrity right, of the yeah. project after 8 p.m. or whatever. And I think that it's, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like be, oh, sorry, go no, ahead. No, no. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, like, what you're also, what I want to point out, what you were also talking about is like this idea that, which makes sense to me, of that, like, when you said, I want to come up with people so that we all get to take turns. There's a real community Mm. about taking turns on each other's projects, doing various roles versus always just being in one role on one project. And so then we have more of a collaboration. So like, you know, it just, it just behooves art for people to sort of take turns on each other's projects, doing various things, because I think it shows the different parts of a set and you don't get, I think the ego loves to say, Oh, I'm a director. I'll always be the director. And, but it's for me anyway, but like, we can take turns doing each other, doing stuff for each other. And I think that's really how we learn and also how you get to make really good friends with people. That's all I was going to say. Yeah. And just this idea that like to be a director has nothing to do with ADing or it has nothing to do with the art department. It's, it's so untrue. I mean, the best directors in my opinion are the, are those that are good leaders because they have worked in so many departments and ADing is a privilege because I get to talk to every department. I get to bounce between people. And so 
I would say that watching Corey, you know, he's such a great director. He is so patient and so thoughtful and prepares so well that I learned a ton from watching him. And, and, you know, to say like, as a director, I only direct, it's like, all right, then you're only going to see the way you direct. And it's probably underdeveloped only Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we're young people. Like how could we be that good at this yet? Right. And I think it's really smart for people to stick around with people who are at the same level, but also doing different things. Totally. I, I, and it's inspiring. And that's the other thing. It's like, it's creatively inspiring. I watched Corey for a month direct a movie and the whole time I'm like just bursting with excitement because I, 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 I'm so happy and I want to make my own stuff and I, I want to work with these people forever. You know, it's like I got off that mountain and just started writing and that's all I've been doing. You know, it's a, it's a, like, it's great. That's fantastic. Is there a version in film like of what we have in theater, which is a, re- a repertory company or not even a repertory company? Like, for example, how when Steppenwolf, to name that theater company again, um, started, they no, nobody wanted to be the artistic director because that's not what they, there was a bunch of actors and that's not what they got into it for. So they rotated, you know, they rotated um, who would be at the helm. Um, it's not quite what you're describing what you have de facto a co-op with your group of friends where, okay, on this one, I'll AD and then you'll write that one and I'll, you know, whatever. Um, is there anything like that though in film where, you know, it's like, because what you're saying, who you work with is so important. What, once people find their, like their little hub, their little group that they're really good at working with, is there any way in which those people get to just always make films together? Or does that not happen until you're, you know, the Coen brothers and, you know, have your, have your stock cast and crew? No, I think the Coen brothers were working with those folks throughout a lot of it. I, I think, um, I think a lot of it in film is probably a little bit more invisible. I think there's a lot of invisible hands on every movie. And so like, you have no idea who gave notes on the script. You have no idea who came in to watch and edit and, you know, get in the avid and play around with it. Like it's, um, it's incredibly community based. I also can only speak for my experience, but like, I think we're all just kind of hopping around on each other's projects. Um, and yeah, another invisible one that I think of is like, you know, the the Safdie brothers. Is it Josh or Benny Safdie? I can't remember which one is operating boom throughout the whole movie. So like the director is listening oh, to uh, the audio as it comes in because that's how he feels the most connected to it. And so, yeah, I think I don't um, I definitely am hoping that my career looks like that. I mean, that that is the, the life that I hope for myself is one where it's just a bunch of dumb friends, like making (laughs) interesting movies, you know, just like goofy people making fun stuff. Yeah. Is there a place where people can see your shorts and stuff? I I know you mentioned the streaming service that has your film, but what about your other stuff? Is there a place where the public can watch your your work? Yeah. um, Everything's on my website. It's Ryan Wagner stuff. Uh, dot com, www. 
Ryan w- that's uh, Ryan. That's is that stand <laughs> worldwide web? Worldwide web is that what that is? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I that's just the, learned about it. It's oh, amazing. Have you it's seen like it? this thing. It's, it's like incredible. a big deal. Um, it's insane. Um, Some of this stuff is. Insane. I, I mean, I just am so looking forward to seeing the kind of work you make, and I'm gonna check out um, your film. It's every other week. It's called or no? Yeah, every other week Seed is the, and spark. the last one that came out. Okay, I'm going to try to find that. And then... Every other week is on uh, Vimeo. Oh, Vimeo. That one was... Okay. Um, that was a Vimeo staff pick, so you can see it on Oh, there, the that's exciting. Pick, so. Okay, okay, staff pick. I love it. I cannot <laughs> wait. I cannot wait to see it. And we'll put it on your... We'll put it on our socials, too, so other people who listen to this have easy access to it. Thank this you. This has been a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much. liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survive Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.